This is Word for the Week, exploring a balanced view of Scripture for the wholeness of life, for wisdom, understanding, and growth. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 7, can you believe it, of Word for the Week. And our word this week is, get ready for it, sexism. Sexism is the word. And that's we're doing it, folks. We are doing. <laughs> sounds like an interesting word to use in a scriptural podcast or whatever. But um, let's start with this. We'll get everything in context, and hopefully, we'll dig ourselves out of a uh, verbal hole by the end oh, of yeah. it here. So let's start by defining what exactly is sex- sexism. Okay. Well, we looked at a number of dictionaries, and here's the definition we thought fit best. Sexism is prejudice or discrimination based on one's sex or gender. Sexism can affect anyone, but it primarily affects women and girls. It's been linked to stereotypes and gender roles and may include the belief that one's sex or gender is intrinsically superior to another. Now, how we ended up uh, on this particular <laughs> word really deals with where we are in our sermon studies, really, in the, in the Apostle Paul's letters to Timothy, and in chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, uh, well, starting in chapter 1, it was everything we mustn't do, and then chapter 2 is the first thing we must do uh, Mm -hmm. in order to do the Christian life right. Sexism? (laughs) And here you go. You heard it first right here. Uh, Probably, unfortunately, not first. But spoiler alert on this, the um, Sunday series is going to go, the first thing actually deals with prayer right so even as we get in here's a combination for you as we're talking about sexism (laughs) it's sexism and prayer uh, together the uh, the topic and this passage is one of the most awkward passages in Mm -hmm. all the new testament to our modern ears uh, because it's so politically incorrect Mm -hmm. Uh, but it actually comes down in the bigger context he's talking about prayer and all of this so uh, with that I remember when I first became a Christian and read this Mm -hmm. what and so that's why we're tackling it because most ladies especially who became Christians and read this if if there was a stumbling block here it is and unfortunately maybe some of that has to do with the way it's understood or explained So let's start off with the passage. Okay. First Timothy 2 verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands, without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who prefer profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Well, there there we have it. So what do you think, yeah. first impressions? Was Paul simply sexist? And if he was, in a serious um, vein here, is that means Christianity as a whole then would be sexist. So is that what's going on, or is there something more? Well, I have to say at face value, it sounds pretty sexist. Mm-hmm. But to be truly objective, we need to take a deeper look. 
And so what can you tell us about the context of this passage? Well, let's start uh, with this. There are virtually hundreds, if not maybe even more, interpretations and explanations of this passage out there. So as a disclaimer, our discussion is not nearly exhaustive on all the thoughts that are out there. But there are some some gold nuggets, if I may say, of wisdom that... uh, resonated more with me biblically, so that's kind of what we're going to share. So how are we approaching this to get at the truth? Because it's not just Paul. I mean, as an issue, it's in the entire New Testament, really. Really, yeah, it is. And and there's another great uh, qualifier here is that we're not interested in smoothing over or simply making something politically correct. We're out to see what is objectively the truth of what was being said in this. So here's our starting premise is that if Paul conflicts with himself in other parts of Scripture, mm-hmm. which then would mean Scripture would conflict with Scripture, if Paul is conflicting with himself, we have a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. And either Scripture has a problem, which I doubt, or more likely there's something we're not understanding uh, we're not drawing out. There's just something in context we're not getting. And so it appears that there's a conflict. And for me, after this many years in, in studying Scripture, that has always been the way. Well, it sounds reasonable. So what ways might it look like Paul is um, conflicting with himself? Okay, this? let's go. Because, uh, you know, even though it's kind of, let's make it clear. Um, a first would be this, is that Paul addresses women a lot through Scripture. And um, in almost every case, well, I think in every case where where it's a personal address of of women, it's always in a positive way. And they're, they're in fact, like pillars of the church. They're a spiritual leader. So um, we have to see, do those passages then really conflict with what Paul's saying here. Okay, so give us some examples. Now, here's a uh, here's a great summary I'd like to offer. There was an article, and uh, if we ever start printing the uh, the, the transcripts, um, uh, the things like this would be useful because I mm. could give the link. But uh, I can say this anyway. There's an article from the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. That's the, the organization. They did something on... They encapsulate how women... Uh, were involved in Paul's mission while he was on the earth. And uh, in that encapsulation, they list 19 personal references to women throughout Paul's letters. And perhaps what would help in, in, in quick succession is is to have you read a little bit of that excerpt on, on what they say of some of these women. Okay, I'll try some of these names. And, okay, and if you want, you can point at me. I and, will. And, and, then I'll be in the hot seat. Priscilla, fellow worker, hosting church at her house, 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Phoebe, our sister and servant deacon, servant, deacon, patroness of the church, Romans 16, 1. Mary, who worked very hard for you, Romans 16, 6. Mm-hmm. Junia, mm-hmm. Romans 16, 7, outstanding among the apostles. Trophina and Trophosa, mm-hmm. Romans 16, 2. Women who worked hard in the Lord. Persis, Romans 16, 12, another woman who worked very hard in the Lord. Mother of Rufus, Romans 16, 13, who has been a mother to me too. Um, Eudia? Eodia. 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 Not, not Eodia. She's, she's not, uh, she, 
matter women like this. Eodia, 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 and then Syntec, Syntici, Syntici, Syntici. Yeah, well, both ways, Syntici or Syntici, depending on the. Yeah. Well, those two lovely ladies are found in Philippians four, four two. Coworkers contended contended at my side. Nympha, oh, I'd love to have that name, Nympha, mm -hmm. <laughs> Colossians 4.15, hosted church at her house, and Aphia, mm -hmm. um, Philemon, a sister church at her house. So. Right, so mm -hmm. there's, uh, uh, that's not all of them, that's just a, a, a group just to give you kind of a deluge of what was going on, mm -hmm. and in addition to uh, all these ladies, we have to consider Timothy's mother and right. really her grandmother his his mother was jewish mm -hmm. his father uh in, in his raising as we understand anyway was a non-believing greek mm -hmm. so all of timothy's spiritual training which is mentioned had to come from his mother and his grandmother yeah, the woman in the house yeah right and paul obviously embraced timothy that's who these letters are to right uh and uh in doing so he's honoring the women as well and of course, this is there's this clear passage from Paul, Galatians three twenty seven twenty eight. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it certainly seems that Paul had a real balanced view of men and women, especially for. A, trained Pharisee like yeah, he was. he would have thought in another way originally. So how do we reconcile what appears to be a sexist passage with the actual practices of Paul's ministry? Right, and that that's exactly what we are doing here, isn't it? Is yeah. uh, We have this impression from a passage, but find out he lived in a, diff a different life there. Right. Um, and like we said in the beginning, there's a lot of interpretations out there. So let's dig into a few that are worth considering. Okay. So you're about to start with cultural context. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean by that cultural context? Cultural context. Well, basically starting with this, you, you can't understand really any historical document unless you have some awareness of the world in which it was written. Right. And both the Jewish and the Greek religions and their cultures, actually, as well, were extremely patriarchal. So... We're not passing judgment. We're not here to, to, to push some agenda. Agenda. We're simply in... That's in how the, it was. Yeah. In the spirit of objectivity mm -hmm. is acknowledging what really was. The reality was they were patriarchal. Right. Um, William Barclay's notes mm -hmm. um, claim this about ancient Jewish culture. A woman was forbidden to learn the law. It was considered casting pearls before swine. She could not take part in the synagogue service. She wasn't allowed to teach, not even children, about God's law. In the sayings of the father, fathers, um, Rabbi Yos ben Yohanan is quoted as saying, Let thy house be opened wide, and let the poor be thy household, and talk not much with a woman. Hence the wise have said, <laughs> Everyone that talketh much with a woman causes evil to himself and desists from the works of the law. And his end is uh, that he inherits Gehenna. <laughs> so in effect, can you imagine the religion is to, if you talk too much to a woman, even your wife, you're going to hell. So uh, hmm. that's kind of heavy. And, and the fact is... Just a little, yeah. Yep. And that's actually kind of mild. The Greek... 
uh, religious cultures were even worse. Think of mm. the two great temples of Greece, the Temple of Aphrodite uh, in Corinth and the Temple of uh, Diana in Ephesus. Mm. Um, they had thousands of priestesses. Well, that sounds kind of equal opportunity, except <laughs> the religious yeah. context is they were prostitutes mm. for the religion. Right. Uh, the priestesses of Diana were called Melissae, which meant bees. So they get out there basically <laughs> oh, busy as bees. <laughs> and the priestesses of Aphrodite weren't simply limited to the temple, but they plied their trade on the streets as well. So, wow. yeah, that that was the place of women in religion. It? it wasn't very kind to women in Palestine. <laughs> no. So how about the average woman considered respectable in ancient society? Okay, and that's a great question because let's go to the other extreme. Then if, if that was the downside, what was the upside? Well, mm -hmm. uh, we've gleaned some idea in the ancient Jewish culture. Um, it wasn't a real high standing there. And it was not really any better in the Roman, uh, ancient Roman or Greek cultures either, because the wife was legally the property of the husband, for a start. Uh, they weren't afforded much education either in those cultures. And the respectable woman um, was quite cloistered. They didn't get, they weren't exposed to the world. They weren't allowed to go out on their own. They were, they're very much homebodies, if you will. Uh, their place in the Greek cultures, right in their sayings, was that the, the wife was there to raise the children. That's what they were yeah. all about. So it seems that women found their expression in how they dressed. Now, Roman dresses have been excavated with threads of pure gold in them. Mm -hmm. One research article claims a wedding dress of a Roman bride named... Lolia Paulina. Lolia Paulina was valued at the equivalent of $59,000. And that's Back then, $59,000. Right. In Jewish, Greek, and Roman cultures, the plating of the hair was another status statement. High fashion involved braids with mm -hmm. very elaborate patterns, mm -hmm. and often costly uh, ribbons and bows would be added to them. In, in effect, much like today, it was a way to show off who you were. Well, these poor ladies, I mean, they didn't have much other outlets, so right. they used what they had, which was to show the status that right. they held. And here's the major point we're getting at with all this, that the gospel, the spreading of the gospel, that these points in the Bible, they, they didn't happen in a bubble. They happened in the context of the cultures they, they right. were in. So consider these facts for a moment, you know, if you would. If church women were allowed to go on, do business as usual, I mean, respectable church women, and fashion became the, the, the contest in, in the church, well, what did that communicate to the world? Or if the established role for women in religion, considering what it was so far, was to be prostitutes, <laughs> and all of a sudden there's this yeah. new thing called the church, yeah. and women had the front roles in that as well, what would the the world assume their place was in the church? Yeah, so just one big orgy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's um, it, it, to be a religious woman in, in some of these cultures was... Um, synonymous with being a prostitute, so, uh, you know. Yeah, that's, that's a real scandalous picture for the Jewish culture. And the Greek and Romans were, would naturally assume Christian women were just another version of, of that. Yeah, or, really, really. for the respectable, respectable woman, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
it would be a way of showing up. The church would be seen as a snobby place reserved right. for for the elite. So really, uh, you know, both both ends. Both ends. Like it, it was, it would be a lose lose. Either yeah. either the the women of the church, on one regard, would be uh, nothing more than prostitutes, or on the other hand, they're a bunch of snobby elitists. Right. You know, both sides are losing. And another thing to consider, if with the with the uh, materialistic side, if women were high fashion show offs, mm. is along with materialism always comes pride and corruption, right. and so that would become part of the church. So, considering the world in which Paul's writing this, and cons- uh, there's a these minefields yeah. uh, in the society, if they truly wanted to communicate the truth of the gospel, they were going to have to avoid some pretty serious misinformation, if you will. Yeah. And now we've talked about the religious in terms of culture, but Paul makes some theological Mm -hmm. points at the end. Mm -hmm. I mean, he talks about Eve being the one that was tricked by the serpent and being saved through childbearing. So Mm -hmm. at first impression, that sounds pretty chauvinistic. I mean, really. Yeah, it it does, doesn't it? It's like, you know, it was all Eve's fault, and now she has to have babies. And of course, that doesn't fit in with Paul. What Paul wrote. So, you know, once again, we have, keep in we mind. Mix now how we feel about things all the time. You know, with and it's you and, have to look at how it was then. And and, and being outside of Paul's mind too, because Paul was speaking in in, in very much a Hebrew stance, and right. he understood right. the Greek point of view. Speaks from a Hebrew stance. So, if you uh, put it all into into uh, proper respect. It, there's a nuance to the Greek language we have to take into account. And then we have to cross-reference what he's saying here with other things he said. Mm-hmm. And put the two together and you might come up, especially in such a delicate passage, come yeah. up with the truth of it. And I thought, first of all, a great way of setting up what Paul is really saying was to have you read a snippet of something else he wrote uh, to the Roman church. Okay, Romans 5.19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Right. Now, in a nutshell, without getting into all the details, of, basically what it comes down to is this. Adam made his own mistake. He, he, he touches on that several times. Mm. But he is saying it was Eve who opened, opened the door mm-hmm. you know, to sin. Yep. So in effect, in a metaphorical way, Eve gave birth to sin. Now he turns around and he says, Mary, uh, and that's the mother of Jesus, Mary was was in effect the second Eve. And so as uh, Eve gave birth to sin, the second Eve gave birth to salvation. Hmm. And of course, through the birth of she's the one who brought Christ into the world. So does the passage only relate to Mary then? Yeah, you you might think, okay, we're going all in that direction. But no, not really. I think even in that, it's setting up a second important truth. And that's this, is that the order of God's design. Mm-hmm. Now, this will come as a kind of a side issue. But have you ever noticed how all of a sudden, and for us boomers, it seems all of a sudden, mm-hmm. medical professionals now don't talk about new moms so much or pregnant women. It's Pregnant persons. Yeah. No, yeah. I, our youngest is pregnant right now. And, and so I've been reading all these things and I've been noticing more and more that that is how, you know. Yeah. Pregnant persons. Now, yeah. 
I can understand in the, the medical professionals are trying to communicate to the culture as it is, but so in effect they're trying in trying to be. But this is what disturbs me: is in being politically correct, they are in fact turning a rather blind eye to what is a scientific reality. And I mean, basically, let's let's consider it. the design of life, especially for any mammalian species, is the female is the one with the capacity to bear and conceive uh, children. Uh, as far as I know, there's no other way to do it. And if we ever figure out a way, it still <laughs> wouldn't be natural. Uh, but that's the order of creation. So using a non-general term as a way of to, trying to ignore the reality, the very design of nature, I, I find it disturbing. So it's, it's like saying that Paul's reminding us that God has designed order into his creation and that right. order and design is reality whether no matter what we prefer yeah i mean that's the that is the way of things that's yeah. the way god has made it in this way and so bringing in the cultural issue for a moment this is something worth mentioning is that here you have this new religion basically and it's uh, in the beginning of things and this new christianity uh, and it, uh, it uh, has allowed women a sense of equality and participation unknown mm. to this time uh, yeah. in, in respect. And, and uh, you know, come to think of it, it's not surprising that it's in the Christian nations where you find the birth of women's rights in our day. I mean, because that's where it started. That's what it was all about. But in this new equality and participation, there were two dangers that, I think Paul was uh, cognizant of. The first would be in 1 Timothy 2.2. Here's a warning that he has. Exercise authority over a man. Yeah, women exercise authority over a man. And of course, oh man, that's hot button in churches. Pays to go back and look at exactly how it translates. And it means domineering. <laughs> and and that has some context in our culture as well. <laughs> but the most close closest... <laughs> Uh, they're like, I said, that's Kathy's whip in case you're, <laughs> you're wondering. Oh, dear. But even closer is the term lording it over a man. Now, mm. now consider here is remember Paul's the guy, uh, uh, Jesus himself who taught us and do not lord it over other people. Mm. This is something he said himself. So some church historians, um, uh, at least conceive that this may be the thing. There was a pendulum effect that where women uh, were given uh, f a, a more of an equal status than had ever been there. It, it may have, like we are as human beings, go overboard in a direction. Mm -hmm. And there may have been a certain form of hostile feminism, if, if mm -hmm. you might say, taking root in the church. And consider it, that's something in our day, but if the church in that day would have swung so radically, it would have been catastrophic in the cultural mm -hmm. sense. They would have imploded. And theologically, if, if we look at it, men can be no greater than women or you're not understanding God's design. Mm -hmm. Just as true, if then all of a sudden women are greater than men, we're still missing the point. Mm -hmm. So there was there was a great danger. Don't miss the point in in what okay, he's so saying. That's the first great danger. What's the second one? Well, the reality was in this world, educational opportunities. We covered that already. Are mm -hmm. 
weren't all that great. Uh, unfortunately, women, for the most part, were very limited in the amount of education that that was afforded to them. Mm -hmm. Paul has made a revolution already in this because we learned from the Jewish thing that women weren't even allowed to learn. Right. And now Paul is here telling them, learn. Mm -hmm. So that that's amazing in itself. And Timothy uh, learned you know, from his mother and grandmother. Yeah, you know? so the, in private. And, and of course, this is right. uh, 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 talking in public. But now Paul's encouraging them to learn, but hold back on the speaking because hmm. when if they get out there and they start spouting off a lot of things, they'll be no better than the Gnostics who they've already been warned about, warned about. They were a stumbling block at the time. They were going around confidently saying all kinds of things and causing all kinds of confusion, being very assertive about things they really didn't understand. And there's nothing worse than when somebody understands just enough to be dangerous. Right. And and so, you know, once again, not pushing a, a, an agenda, but this was the reality of the situation. The, the, this was a whole new platform for women in that day. So in a sense, it was like letting women catch up. Yeah, know, they, <laughs> without destroying the church right. that was saving them. Sure. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and and that was a cultural reality of things as they were. Okay, so getting down to the nitty-gritty of this, what do you believe Paul was trying to get across? Okay, then? what he was trying to get across, even in these very uh, delicate passages we're looking at, was, uh, I think, a, a form of complementarianism, if you want a big word, a complementary roles between men and women. Mm -hmm. Because by the end of this, he says, First thing, if you want to do this right, if you want to do church right, if you want to do your spiritual journey right, here's and, and, and then he talks about prayer. But in all of that, to get it right, he gives um, stipulations and he talks about certain things for the men and certain things for the women. And for the men, it comes down to a case of sacrificial accountability. Mm -hmm. And for the women, it comes down to this word submission. Now... Mm -hmm. Before we think, man, the women are getting the short end of the stick here, the thing to remember is that submission is the very model of God himself. Think of it, mm. how it how it works within the Trinity. The Son submitted to the Father. Right. Um, the Holy Spirit submits to the Son in that he witnesses only of him. And so the whole economy of the very makeup of God himself is submission. That's mm. no small role. Didn't put it in here, but you can tie this all the way back to Genesis, in Genesis three, uh, where um, God makes the woman as a helpmate, nice. and the word for helpmate from the Hebrew, if you do a kind of a, a transliteration, to the Greek, it comes out to be um, what would be Parakletos in in the New Testament. Huh. The one, so the woman is a model of the Holy Spirit. That, that's some amazing stuff. Wow, that's yeah. that's pretty cool. That, yeah. So, in effect, men and women are to be the model of God himself. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and Paul makes this emphasis in these two roles, but they are to be the model of God himself. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, just as we're kind of wrapping this up, let me say this. Consider the alternative. Let's mm -hmm. just, you know, consider the alternative. If men and women are exactly the same in role mm -hmm. and nature and everything— uh, think of how that works in nature and in, in the ecosystem. When you take either two 
two apex predators or even just two animals or plants trying to fit the same slot in the uh, you end up in competition hmm. um, it has to be that way and it works that way in life if any intimate relationship if if the two people come in equal and the same hmm. it has to end up in competition that's there's no alternative and then it's not surprising when people say, well, marriage is a war of the wills or whatever. It's a struggle right. for dominance. And we see Paul mentioning that. According to Scripture, though, if, if we got this part of it right, a marriage isn't a competition of wills. It is, in fact, a partnership of mutual and complementary giving. So, right. uh, and, and quite naturally, when we get willful, we mm -hmm. get really self-centered. Self sure. And that... That does nothing for a relationship uh, no. or spiritual development either. <laughs> no, it's self-centered. You don't tend to grow in Christ no. when you're self-centered. So really it seems when you're looking at Scripture, you've got to take the whole thing, the bigger view and a deeper understanding yeah. to glean the wisdom that's in there. Um, other, otherwise it's just confusing or it could even be offensive. Like, yeah, like in this. Yeah. And, and, and you really hit a good point here because the more delicate or the more um, hard to understand a piece of Scripture is and the more digging then you have to do is just mm -hmm. what's really being and said. And unfortunately, a lot of people, they read something and they're, oh, you know, and, and, yeah. and they either just gloss over it and just keep going and don't mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. you know, uh, or they turn away because yeah. it just seems like it doesn't, but yeah. that's the thing. Seems like, you know. Seems is a big word, isn't it, in yes. this? And, and really, <coughs> excuse me, if we look at the whole picture, if, if nothing else, if we haven't convinced anyone on the women thing in this, at least it would be a win if we convinced them that to understand Scripture, you do have to dig deeper. Mm -hmm. um, if right. something's not hitting you right in first impression, dig deeper. Right. So here we've addressed all this profound of delicate stuff. So I am now going to switch gears abruptly and and then I give over to your authority as the musician and ask Kathy, what is our highlighted praise song for this week? I think the title is pretty great. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Mm -hmm. So it's. And it goes along. It with goes them. along with this, and so we'll send people on their way with this song. Yep, and we'll see you next week, and be blessed. Well, yeah, we'll be blessed, and who knows what word we'll come up with next. <laughs> you never <week's> know. <laughs>
forsaken for by my side the Savior he will stay I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need his power is displayed to this I hold my shepherd